my biggest strength in the business world was my creativity. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't something that I had to adopt or, or blend. It was something that gave me the competitive advantage in corporate, both in corporate and in my business. And one of the reasons being is that as a creative, we are inherently strategic. You're listening to Moneda Moves, a podcast where we cover the intersection of money and cultura. I'm your host, Leon Alfaro, a Latina award-winning journalist, producer, and strategist. On this podcast, I will highlight stories illustrating Latinx relationships with money, our contributions, and role in the American economy. Here, we'll increase transparency around the netto issues and achievements of our community, as well as that of our POC peers, to inspire you to pursue your own financial poder. Join me bi-weekly as we cover stories with our community's front and center, alongside dinero experts, entrepreneurs, and innovators. No te lo quieres perder. If there's any entrepreneur who can speak to the power of navigating multiple worlds and tapping her inner creative as a business executive, it's Jesse Medina, founder of Femex Quarters. Jesse, a dreamer from Argentina, is no stranger to embracing being a multi-hyphenate herself. She's gone from being an immigrant to successful corporate executive to podcast host and a Forbes Next 1000 entrepreneur. Femex is a space in San Diego built to connect like-minded women entrepreneurs, leaders, and creatives. Today, we speak with Jesse about building a company as an immigrant, making the move from corporate to entrepreneurship, and what she's learned along the way. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. Hola, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you here. And you have a heck of a story. I'm so excited to share just the fact that you have been able to bootstrap FemX and also build it having you know, graduated from the corporate world. And so there's so much to dig into here. But first of all, I want to learn a little bit about this transition. I mean, you seem to be a little bit of a multi-hyphenate, working with corporates, helping Latin entrepreneurs, building a brick and mortar. So just take me back to when you were a marketing executive and what led you to take that leap? And what were these multi-hyphenate roles that you had that you said entrepreneurship would really fit me? Yeah, for sure. So I had the privilege to climb the corporate ladder and become a marketing executive. It took some years. I mean, I was in corporate for about 10 years. And one of the advantages that I had was that this is when social media was growing and companies started to realize the power of social media. And yet all this like executive team in the company I was in didn't know anything about it. And so my age at the time being young, the youngest person in the corporate office was one of my advantages, right? So I had all these ideas. I presented this strategy and they loved it. So I pitched it. They loved it. I remember I was reading Lynchpin at the time and that really pushed me to kind of like pitch the ideas to them. And that really, I got promoted. I got a raise. You know, I all of a sudden became part of the executive team. And, you know, I, I had the privilege to build the department. So I didn't have a communication slash PR department at the time. And so I got to be in charge of that and I got to develop it. And that helped me kind of tap into different passions that I had, right? Passion for community, you know, 
working with social media strategy, being a visionary, creating the vision for the whole team, building a team from scratch, managing big budgets all of a sudden, right? So I had to learn from experience how to do these things, but I had a lot of freedom because I knew better than anybody else in the company, right? So I had a lot of freedom to experiment and have fun and find what I, I was really enjoying and also show results. I had to learn how to show results, right? Because the only way that they understood it is what's the bottom line? How much money are you going to make us, right? That's the only language that they spoke. So as a creative, as a young person, I was excited about following and the image of the company and getting better reviews and getting the company on the news. All these things were great for me, but ultimately they were like, okay, how much money is this going to bring us? And so I got used to really measuring results. And I remember at first it was something that was outside my comfort zone, but eventually became one of my strengths, right? And now that I'm a business owner, that is something that I'm passionate about. And it is a strength because now I can measure, which obviously helps you grow. And, you know, after a few years, I was really passionate about it. I loved it. I loved my job, but I still felt like I always wanted to start my own company. I always knew I was going to be my own boss and I always knew I wanted to help people and I didn't know how. So eventually the company grew. We took it to the next level. We got a VC firm that bought out most of the company and they brought in a new CEO. And this is the last year that I was there. So a new CEO came in and he was just, let's just say he was just a little bit old school. <laughs> and, you know, he sadly, like uh, myself and a lot of the women in the company, we experienced sexual harassment by this uh, new CEO. And so that's something that I hadn't seen. And it's something that showed me that it can happen at any level, that at any level, people are doing these things and people are getting away with it. When I finally gathered the courage to report it, which was really hard, even for me, you know, I was told he's the new CEO, we can't touch him, basically. And so there was a point where in my, in my career where I felt like it's, I either choose this career just because it gives me money. And, you know, at that point it was just a, a paycheck and title, or I choose my mental health because I started experiencing anxiety. I didn't want to go to work anymore. You know, I, I lost that passion that I had for it. And so I chose my health. And so I quit and I moved to San Diego, which is my dream city. I decided if I'm going to start over, I'm going to start over from a place where I actually want to be. And so I moved to San Diego and my plan was to continue to do marketing. I got a couple of marketing consulting clients. And so I was like, I'm just going to do marketing. And on the side, my mom and I started throwing female empowerment events because we were really passionate. Now I was at that point, I had done a lot of reading. I was really passionate about empowerment. I was really passionate about equality because this of was, what I went this was you and your mom. Yes. So I, I went through that, you know, corporate harassment thing. And then she, her entire life had, you know, she went through domestic abuse and whatnot. So we were both really passionate about equality for women and especially Latina women, especially as immigrants. So we came to the U.S. as immigrants. And initially when we were going through domestic violence, we were scared to even call the cops, right? Like that's something that's very real in our communities. And so how can we create resources and spaces that are safe for women where we can grow? Because we could talk about it all day long, but really what can we do to create a platform that's going to give women resources? And one of the reasons why women put up with harassment, whether it's in the workplace or in a toxic relationship, is because we're not financially free, right? We feel like we depend on those people that are, 
you know, abusing or harassing women. And so that's how we started throwing female empowerment events. And at the time, I was not planning on building a business on that, right? It was just like something that we did. The events were free, you know, we were doing them every month. And then eventually, you know, it's just, I realized like, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to build these platforms and resources full time. You know, I was passionate about marketing, but I was like, I can use the skills to build my own movement and business. And, and that's how I got started. And then I was working out of a co-working space at the time and I wasn't finding my community. I was new to San Diego and I wasn't finding the friends and their real connections. And then I would go to my events and meet all these amazing women. And I was like, how can we have a work? place where we meet these women on a daily basis and then one day mm-hmm. it just clicked like why don't I create that space why don't I build a space where I can host the events and I can you know offer a container for women to work together and to connect and so one day it just clicked and it took some time like I did a business plan I did all the research I tried to get the funding I, I had to do a lot you know this is this was all new to me and so After doing all that, I would say it took about a whole year between the time I I started working on the business plan and I actually opened the space. So it took time, but it felt like it went by fast. And, you know, next thing I knew I was opening Femex quarters and here we are today. (laughs) Wow. 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 Jesse, what a fantastic story. And I must say, I have notes in front of me and I was wanted to delve into business before hearing the the foundation of your story. But now that I've have heard it, or part of it anyway, I see how personal it is. I see how how the roots are planted, not only within you, but then within the relationship with your mom and everything that happened in, in your marketing job. And so I, I want to commend you for, for having the power within you, the power that unfortunately not all women perhaps are in a position to, to take. Mm-hmm. To, to report behavior of that matter um, when it comes to harassment, but also to be able to overcome that and to be able to empower other women, to use that to empower other women. Now, because you and your mom started uh, hosting workshops for other women in empowerment, I'm curious about the nature of the relationship between you and your mom, because I think that that, it sounds like that planted the seeds for what eventually, after several iterations or evolutions, turned into Mm -hmm. Femex. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, she's like my best friend. I always say that. And I feel like the older I get, the more I become like my mom. And I think that's something that we could, a lot of us can relate to. But yeah, you know, my mom always was like a best friend to me, a role model, someone that was very strong, someone that's been through way more than I have. So I've always looked up to her, you know, and, and seen how brave she's been. She, I mean, she brought us to the U.S. as a single mom, you know, without even knowing English, right? Like I was an immigrant too, but like for her, I imagine it was a lot harder. I, I came here, I got to go to school here. I got to learn the language for her. It was like a whole other story. So I always admire my mom. She showed me what it was like to take a leap, to leave everything behind and move forward and go where you want to go. And growing up, she would always say, you know, we're from Argentina and she would always say like, one day I'm moving to the U.S. And at that time, it seemed like impossible. Like we were poor, like really poor. Like sometimes we did She didn't know how she was going to feed us. You know, she did everything she could. She worked long hours, everything. So for her to make it happen, you know, it was it was really incredible. And I saw that journey. And I think that really inspired me and showed me that anything can be done. And like she could move here. I can move to San Diego. You know, that's nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. She's definitely one of my role models. And it's funny because she tells me I'm her role model. She tells me I inspire her. And she loves how like 
big of a risk taker I am you know and she doesn't really see like what, what she's done and the influence she's had no matter how much I tell her you know she's just like no you're the brave one you know <laughs> so it's, it's a beautiful relationship and, and I'm really thankful to have that and I think the women in my family have always been like the strong ones entrepreneurial spirits you know I'm the first one to really have officially a business but we've all had that entrepreneurial creative spirit uh, even when I look at my grandparents my grandmas both of them you know so yeah it certainly sounds like you empower each other through words but also just how intelligent you are and also intuitive you are now I, I kind of also want to touch back on the fact that you are as we said a multi-hyphenate and that you started as a creative and now have evolved and transformed into a full-fledged businesswoman CEO founder so can you walk us through just knowing that some of the listeners may be in the same position that you were several years ago, th that they are creatives and they want to build their own business, but they don't have this tools and the strategies to do so. What was that transformation like? And what were some of the moments where things clicked and, and some of the challenges? Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially back in the day, I think it's, it's shifting now, but I think we used to think of like, creative is over here on one side and business is over here on a different side right like if you're creative you're like this free spirit soul that like has no strategy or structure or anything or like you're like this pragmatic business person that's all about the numbers however the more that I grow and in, in having been a creative my whole life I, I realized that my biggest strength in the business world was my creativity you know it, it wasn't it wasn't something that I had to adopt or, or blend. It was something that gave me the competitive advantage in corporate, both in corporate and in my business. And one of the reasons being is that as a creative, we are inherently strategic. So a strategy really, when you think about it, is a very creative thing. I mean, a strategy is being able to see the big picture. It's kind of like when you're creating a, a design for anyone that's creative and, and has built a design whether it's fashion design whether it's drawing whatever it may be right like you have a vision of something right you're drawing a picture you are a graphic designer whatever it may be you have a vision and then you have to create a prototype and then you have to break that down and then you have to think of colors and all these things that really like that's kind of what you're doing when you build a strategy right you think of the big picture you think of the vision that you have for your business and then you break it down then you say like what do I need to do what are my goals what are my objectives you know what steps do I need to take for each one of these and so as a creative when I really and I did go to school for business too so that helped me see that it was very similar the process that you go through but as I started building these strategies I realized like this is a creative process. This is something that being a creative is a strength. And so I think that once we embrace that and we stop trying to be something we're not and we're willing to hire people or create a team that can support us in the things that we're not good at, then we, we find more success. For me, I'm not necessarily like a very structured logistical person, right? Like I create a strategy, but I need the implementer and I need the person that's gonna you know, kind of like take care of the small details and logistics of things. Like when I throw an event, I need that person that's going to think of like, well, when are we getting the 15 minute break, right? Like even those small things, because I'm thinking of like this amazing 
amazing event that's going to change lives and what's the workshop going to be about and like that's what I'm thinking about right so finding the right people is really important but also embracing that creativity and for me as a business owner I've been able to embrace that more and that's where I've been able to embrace being multi-passionate and being multi-talented and understanding that nobody needs to be this idea that we have of what like a business owner looks like and the you know it's not a linear path and so it's different for everyone and all the creative things that you've done along the way and even the odd jobs that you've had along the way and the challenges that you've had along the way are really going to become your competitive advantage like at one point sexual harassment was something that was making me sick and at this point in my life that sexual harassment experience that same experience is what led me to my purpose so a lot of it is about just reframing like, what is this going to do for me? I, when I was in high school, I was really focused in graphic design. I took like that path in my high school and, and I loved doing graphic design. And later on, years later, it helped me be pretty good at social media because I could do these things before Canva, right? Like I knew how to use Photoshop. I knew how to do these things. So everything that we go through really ultimately is part of what you're meant to do and you have to embrace it. So don't think that because you're creative, you're not this or that, or you're, you know, you have to be this type of personality to do well in business. Like, I don't think that's the way things go anymore. And I think we're learning to embrace that and also appreciate art and also pay creatives, right? Understanding that we are worth getting paid, that the things that I bring to the table are so unique. The recipe that I have is so unique that nobody else has. And that has a value in itself. It's not about how long it takes you to do it. It's about how long it took me to get to where I am today so I can even be here with you today and like share these stories, right? Yes. And, and, and I know that the audience can't see us, but I'm nodding and shaking my head. Yes, because I can resonate with these feelings so much. And the feeling that sometimes I think that we do reach for this illustration or painting of what a CEO or a business executive should be, should look like, should act like what they should have in their toolkit. Right. But when we start embracing those skill sets that we already have, that brings us to our special concoction our special recipe, mm. as you called it, that nobody else has and, and fully embracing that can really help help build a business. So I think at the same time, a collective sigh of relief to hear what you've said that, you know, despite the fact you did go to school for business, you are a creative at heart. And if anything that empowered you to become a better business leader in your own right. Now, I want to talk about something that I think is very hard sometimes for small business owners, and that is outsourcing, despite the fact that outsourcing inevitably just necessary in order to scale because one cannot simply do it all on their own, at least not efficiently. I do think it is a point of sometimes hardship for a lot of Latinas, especially perhaps if you come from a background where you didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so you had a lot of scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about when you decided to begin outsourcing and what that thought process was like. Were there any difficulties when it came to saying like, oh, wow, this is going to be a big investment mm -hmm. that I'm going to have to make in order to scale? Yeah, I think one of the main difficulties, thankfully, I've had you know, in building community, I've had a lot of people willing to help. And like, I know a lot of really amazing women. So it's never been a challenge to like find people that are talented. I think initially my mistake was that I would meet someone that was amazing, incredible, and we had a lot in common. So like, let's say this person was like a creative like myself and we love the same things and we were really good at the same things. And so I'd be like, oh my gosh, we're like besties, like come work with me. And my mistake in that was that 
really the best investment we can make is in finding the people that are good at things that you're not good at, you know, but we always have the tendency to just want to add to the team people that are like us, that remind us of us. And then down the road, as I started working with different people, I realized that my best friends became the ones that were so different from me that had such different skills that I didn't even understand their job you know that I'd be like you take care of that like you do your thing I trust you but they became my best allies you know because these are the people that we need the people that if you are the left hand they're the right hand right like that's what we need and I think that that's the best investment especially if you have a limited budget the help that you can get get people to help you in areas that you don't know one of those areas that I had to invest on is like a lawyer for for my trademark right like I was like I had initially a long time ago lost a name that I had for my podcast my podcast was called a different name and sadly I had a conversation with someone who asked me directly like is it trademarked and I was like no I was just having an innocent conversation with this person and the next week I realized this person trademarked the name of my podcast and after that I realized how important it is to invest in that and at the time it, it felt like a lot of money to invest in you know, as far as I preach brand equity and and the name and how important these things are, like at that time, with the capital I had, like doing a trademark didn't seem like a priority because it's not a direct investment that's going to bring you cash, like, you know, but I was like, well, it's something I have to do because I already experienced what it's like not to do it. And so I, you know, when I was trademarking Famix, for example, it's something that it's not something that I know. It's not something that I'm familiar with. I'm not a lawyer, right? And so, you know, I hired a lawyer, right? I, I hire an electrician or handy people all the time for the space. Like I hire all these people that it's something that I really can't do. And on the other hand, for things that you can do, especially if you're starting out and you have a limited budget is, you know, I will do some things myself, you know, like social media. If I'm good at social media, I'll do that myself. If I'm good at, you know, building community, I'll do that myself. Right. And as a leader, there are things that we have to do anyway. And being part of the community, being there with everybody, especially in the beginning is really important. And so I would say focus on the things that you're good at. That's where you can save money, right? Because you're good at those things and invest in the people that really compliment you, even if you don't understand it, even if you don't understand what they do, even if it's like some nerd that's talking like, you know, web development language that you don't understand and you're like, oh, like let them do that, right? And when you think of people like Steve Jobs, right? Like he would have never had the iPhone if he didn't have his best friend, like designing the iPhone, right? Because he understood all that stuff. So these are the things that are really important to keep in mind. Learning from the greats, Jesse. I like your style. Um, So I know that you also bootstrapped your company when you were starting. And so I'm curious if you could take us in a look behind the scenes and to what that was like bootstrapping a company, which is something that is just the reality for a lot of us. We're not met with bountifuls of funding right out the gate as Latinx entrepreneurs in general. Yeah, so this is where creativity comes in too and resilience when I was about to, you know, I put together my business plan and I had all the projections and it all looked really good, right? And I remember I went to a couple of like places that, I don't want to name names, but, you know, just a couple of places to like be like, hey, here's my business plan, you know, help me secure funding. And everyone, pretty much said no because I was trying to get a building for one and like everybody's like you don't have real estate experience 
you don't have enough money in the bank because at that point they want you to have at least like a hundred thousand dollars in the bank you know they want like if you don't have experience you better have a lot of money in the bank right or like you better have a co-signer that has a lot of money or whatnot things that I didn't have at the time and so I remember I was like well how can I get creative and I remember there were a couple of times when I went in and they would say no you can't do it and I would literally like cry like I cried in, in a couple parking lots in San Diego you know just like feeling like a little bit discouraged but at the same time I feel challenged. At the same time, I was like, well, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to get creative. I've always been resourceful. And so one of the things was, you know, I did use some credit at the time. And this is where I tell business owners, because I know that especially for Latinas talking about debt is like really scary, right? We've usually had a bad experience with debt and I don't recommend debt. In fact, before that, I didn't believe in debt. I, I don't like debt. But I think when it comes to investing in a business, it's not necessarily debt, right? It's an investment. We have to reframe that too, where it's like, okay, if I know that this is going to bring me a return on my investment, then it's worth it. And it's kind of like when you're buying an investment property, right? You know that you're it's going to bring you money back. And so it's a risk, but it's not as bad as like, I'm going shopping, you know, like that's bad debt, right? And so at the time, I remember, for example, the kitchen for the space, you know, that was like a big investment. I got Ikea credit, a line of credit, and like, I, that's how I got it, right? There were things where like, I had friends that came in when we got all the furniture that I ordered, and like, they helped me like put it together, you know, so I got really creative. But I also got a friend that, a friend of a friend that I showed my business plan to, and he wanted to invest in it, and he really believed in it. And I remember I didn't want to give away equity. I knew that from the get-go. I'm like, I want this to be 100% female-owned. I don't want to give away any equity. So I told him, look, I'll give you a percent of the profits for one year, for the first year. So like, you know, you give me this money, I'll pay you back, and I'll give you a percent of the profits, which is called revenue share. But I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> so now that I've said it a couple of times in a couple of panels, people started coming up to me, people that know, and they're like, oh, that's actually a form of investing, right? Like where it's a revenue share, where you're not giving away any equity, but you're kind of sharing your revenue for a certain amount of time. And I actually found out that I had, a, I did a pretty good deal. I negotiated for myself like a sick deal that when investors heard about it, they were like, dang, I would have got in on that, you know, like, and at the same time, they're like, you, you were pretty savvy because you're better off than like the people that give away equity and sure they get millions, but they're giving away equity, right? So they're like, you actually did the right thing. And here I am like, without knowing at the time, without knowing the term, right? And I remember he even sent me this deck that I had to send him back or something. It was my first time hearing of that. So I even remember like Googling it, you know, I'm like you have to just get creative. We have YouTube University, we have Google, you know, like we, we can really make it happen. My point is, whether you go the traditional route with investing and all that, or whether you find creative ways to come up with money, you can make it happen. If you really believe in it, you have to believe in it, you have to be willing to go past the nose, you have to be willing to go past times like COVID, right? And still like keep going and still keep believing, still keep investing. And I had to choose my business so many times over luxury, you know, initially, right? I had to choose my business over, I was used to like traveling so much and I was used to spending money in ways that for a time I couldn't anymore, right? My first year in business was tricky because we, I opened FemEx and a few months later COVID hit, right? So at this point, I have, uh, you know, there's so many trade-offs, right? So these are things that if you really believe in your vision, you really believe in what you want to create, you can make it happen. And I'm not just saying that because it came easy. It came at a high cost and I still wouldn't trade it. I still would do it. I still 
love what we're creating and I, I see how we are defined the odds through Femex. I, I see how like I went from like everybody, a lot of people said you can't do this to me hitting six figures within the first two months. I literally passed my own projections for my own business. And I wouldn't have if I didn't believe in myself and I didn't push and I didn't ignore some of the naysayers, right? Right, right. I have to say, Jesse, I I really appreciate that revenue share story because it ties back to what you were saying earlier, which is that despite the fact that people may not have all the terminology and the toolkit lined in order from traditional academia as to how to ace it, quote unquote, in the business world, you were able to use your creativity to negotiate, as you said, a pretty amazing deal for yourself. And I think that that's such a very specific way to illustrate something that you said generally. And that I think helps people so much. And now I know you mentioned building a brick and mortar and all the investments that went to it and COVID. And so I am curious with COVID, we see a lot of growth in e-commerce. We see a lot of growth in the digital world. What evolutions has a brick and mortar like yours, which serves such a specific demographic, but albeit growing demographic, how has that looked like? And what does it look like today versus when you just opened? Mm-hmm. I think brick and mortar, generally speaking, is, is a tricky business to be in, especially if you're in the wrong one. So different industries have different outlooks. For example, if you're in retail and you're selling out of a brick and mortar, I would say go online, right? Like it's even big chains are closing up and just going online. So yes, I think when it comes to places like Femex Quarters, where we are doing things that you can't necessarily like always do online, right? Where we are bringing people together and connecting people and providing a space for special events, right? We have all kinds of events that we rent the space for as well. So when you're doing these things where it's like, people don't want to throw a wedding or a conference online necessarily. I mean, we did it when we had to, but as soon as like things opened up, people immediately, in fact, we were still getting calls to use our space during the shutdown. We just would say no. And it was painful. It was painful to turn down business. And we even refunded people and it was painful. But we were still saying no, but we still had the demand for it. You know, we still, because of the nature of our business, and if you are, you know, a hairdresser, if you are anybody, a masseuse, you know, these are services that people still want to get in person, right? So these are brick and mortars that are still going to be able to work because they're services that people prefer in person. So if you're in one of those, you'll be okay. If you're in something where like online shopping, where we all prefer online shopping, I think, or a lot, a vast majority of people prefer that, then at least have that option, right? You don't have to necessarily close down, especially if you're doing well, but make sure you have that option and also watch what the bigger companies are doing because they've done all the research. They have huge companies that do research for them. So if you're seeing companies like Forever 21, going exclusively online or companies like that, then that should tell you something. And But I still think brick and mortar is beautiful. I think because of COVID, we had the advantage that a lot of people were craving even more to come together. And so we've seen how much we've grown where other companies have closed after COVID and they didn't survive. We've actually been able to grow because people are craving that connection. Having said that, it was challenging. It was still challenging. It was scary as heck. You know, there were times where I was like, what am I going to do? And what helped me is that I had built other revenue streams for my business. And that's something that I tell business owners, especially brick and mortar owners, is 
don't just rely on that even though that's a sweet spot that's where usually if you have a brick and mortar that's usually where you get your biggest revenue I would still say always have something else and by something else I don't mean multiple businesses because especially initially you don't want to have multiple businesses but I mean multiple revenue streams that are still cohesive and still go with your business and still match your business so for me, I had a mastermind that I offer. And that was one of my lifelines during COVID because my mastermind started January 2020. You know, I, I already had a plan. I already mm. had the, the So that's around this, that's around the same time you're yeah, your yeah, but I had it before. You know, I already had oh. it. I had already had the group, the attendees, the payments coming in every month. And so that really helped. I also had I do speaking. So even though obviously a lot of the live events shut down. I still had some speaking engagements that, you know, they still paid me for that. I, we still had a little bit of e-commerce. We've never, we don't promote our e-commerce that much. We do have a store. It's not something, it's not huge for us right now. And it's not something we focus on too much, but we had all these things that maybe before they were just kind of like extra, like just the icing on the cake. Right. But then when the brick and mortar was shut down, it was what was paying the bills, right? It became essential for us. And so it just, I, I have a webinar, you know, we just have multiple online offerings that still relate to our community. We even hosted a free co-working day, you know, that we just did in order to continue to feed our community. So even though it was free, it still helped us stay relevant, right? Stay top of mind, nurture the community, right? Give that connection that we weren't getting in person. And so you know, as a business owner, you have to think about these things and create these multiple revenue streams to make sure that, you know, before nobody could have predicted COVID, but now we know, right? We know that anything could happen. So more than ever, we need to be foreseeing that and we need to have a way to sustain our business in multiple ways and not just depend on one. Absolutely. So the takeaway here is diversify your revenue stream. Yes. Yes. And, and Jesse, I don't, I don't want to bury the lead. I know we've been talking all business, all money, but I think it's so significant the work that you're doing in the community to work with Latina entrepreneurs. And this is only on the rise, right? I mean, we know Latinas represent 40% of all Latino businesses. And in the five years, that's taken off even more. So you being a Latina founder and business owner, how can people best support Latinas, not only from a consumer perspective, but when we talk about funding as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of it is, you know, walking the talk, right? I think we all talk and, and generally believe that we want to support other Latinas. We want to support our sisters. And at the same time, you know, when I, because I've been doing this work for so long and we really have become a place that we support women of color, really from anywhere. We just attract all the women of color in San Diego, I think, because we're like the only diverse space like that in San Diego, you know? So I noticed sometimes, you know, I have a really, really good friend. She's a black woman and she's like, the Latinas are the most supportive to me, you know, more than my own black community. And then like, I've had Latinas say to me, the black women are the most supportive more than my own community, you know? And like, I've been thinking about it and something and I hear a lot, quite a bit actually. And I'm like, what is it that sometimes it's easier to support other communities, which there's nothing wrong with that. But are we really like walking the talk and, and really like coming together and really collaborating, right? And a lot of us are, but I think there's room for growth where we just really have to be mindful of where we're putting our dollars, where we're putting our, our friendships, our collaborations, right? And especially in cities like San Diego, where 
we have so many Latinx people here, but at the same time, it's very still white mainstream, you know, when it comes to media, when it comes to representation, when it comes to recognition, right? And so I think it's really important for us to cheer for one another, to elevate our each other's voices. And I think when it comes to growing a business, it's really important to put yourself out there. I think sometimes as Latinas, I you know, generally speaking, because I can't speak for everyone, but generally speaking, sometimes it's harder for us to ask for help or to admit that we need help, right? Even for me growing up, it was like that where I've got this, right? And we have like our mothers are doing this on their own and whatnot. And so I think to grow, to really be able to grow, we have to ask for help. We have to swallow that Latina pride (laughs) and we have to be able to, you know, come and gather and like, sometimes also we're like, it's really easy for us to give, but sometimes it's not easy to take, right? So also saying like, hey, I can use help too, or I have a question, raising our hands, knocking on doors, you know, I can't tell you how many times I tell people like, if you need something, let me know. And then it turns out later on that they needed something and they never spoke up, right? So it's really important to speak up and you'd be surprised, you know, ask and you shall receive is, it's not just a saying, I've seen that, right? Like I, you, you have to ask and ask and ask. And for every no that you get, there's someone there that's going to say yes to you, that is going to help you, that's going to support you, that's going to be your friend. And sometimes, especially when we are in really going through really hard times, we feel alone, but we're kind of like, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like we feel alone, but we're kind of like making it happen, right? Because we're pushing away people or we're not willing to ask for help or to say that we need help. And so being vulnerable and being able to reach out and to speak up and raise your hand and say, hey, I need help. It's really important. The, the resources are out there. Definitely. We're doing a lot better. There's a lot of community leaders. Even in San Diego, there's a lot of women that are really generous that if you're like, hey, I want to talk to you. I have a question about your business. Like a lot of us are going to be happy to share. So you, you've got to ask. Such a good takeaway. You shall ask and you shall receive. I'm writing writing that one down. Now, Jesse, I know you're a big reader and you mentioned as a matter of fact at the top of the podcast that you were reading a book called Lynchpin. And I did look that up. It's Are You Indispensable by Seth Godin. So that we're adding that to our list. But usually the question that I like to round out our interviews is what was your biggest money learning? But because you are such a big reader and you've digested so much information about people like Steve Jobs and successful entrepreneurs, can you recommend to us three top reads which you found formative for your business knowledge or to building Femex? Should I hate that question? Because every time people ask me and put me in the spot, I forget the names of everything. <laughs> <laughs> I would say anything but Brene Brown, you know, off the top of my head, like 100% anything but Brene Brown. In that case, Jesse, what are the three top learnings? Obviously, I'm sure of a long list. <laughs> yes. But can you give us just your top learnings, the top things that you've learned in your entrepreneurship journey about money? Yes. See, when it comes to lists, it all gets crumbled in my head. Let's see. I would say number one is you have to raise anything that you know about money. If you are broke right now, if you feel resistance if you feel like you're trying and then it starts to happen for you and then something happens like any of that is being created by your mindset I can tell you that right now and I went through that period initially with my business and so you have to start over if you're not abundant right now it starts with you you have to start over you have to reprogram your mind most likely you've been programmed to believe that and sometimes because you lived it right I grew up poor right so I know what it's like and 
and I had all these money mindsets and we've heard over and over like you know there's no money we can't afford that and phrases like that and, and that's ingrained in our brain so you have to work on the mindset that's huge I would say invest invest and don't spend that makes sense if you're going to spend money initially spend money in things that are going to bring you money back and so if something even in your business feels like because sometimes we do that right we say well I'm spending this for my business so it's an investment but if it's not really bringing any return on investment like if it's just like oh I just want to make my office prettier so I'm going to buy paint and you know like there's no return and, and you have a limited budget choose to do the things that are going to bring you a return first and then you can play around and you can say, I'm going to make it prettier or whatnot, right? So, you know, sometimes we buy so many journals and things and I love journals and all that. But like I had to learn like, okay, I'm just going to buy one journal and I'm actually going to use it. I'm going to buy one book and I'm actually going to read it, right? Like don't just buy like 10 books and you don't read any or like you read them, but you don't apply, right? So always be thinking about the return on the investment and that goes for time too because time is money so even though you said money you have to value your time I used to be overly generous with my time and then I had to learn like I can have a greater impact when my time is managed well and where I'm choosing where I'm spending my time and I'm saying no to the things that are not aligned right now you know I, I used to have so many coffee dates with so many people because I wanted to pick my brain and then at some point I realized like I can't do that because that's actually eventually taking money from my business, right? Because it's time that I'm not investing in my business. So time is money. So you have to also be really, really smart and really intuitive to know where you're going to spend your time. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your expertise. One of the Moves listeners, that was Jesse Medina, founder and CEO of Femex Quarters based in San Diego, California. You can follow Jesse and continue the conversation with her via her Instagram at Jesse Medina Official and at Femex Quarters. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, mi gente, for joining us this week on Moneda Moves. Before you go, please make sure to hit follow on this podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they are released. You can follow right now in the app you're using to listen to this podcast. Also, continue keeping cuentas and keeping tabs on our Latinx community and money moves via our free newsletter written by yours truly at monedamoves.substack.com. That's monedamoves.substack.com. I'll see you there. Hasta la próxima.